They said I got the cheese quiz. <laughs> Microphone check. This is Corey. This is the Regular Pastor Podcast. My name is Landon Coleman. I'm the preaching pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas. Today I have my number one and my number two staff members. Who's number one and who's number two? I'll let him be number one so he can be the podcast wife. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> number one and number two, Les Spear, Garrick, Siegler. We're going to talk about uh, the Ten Commandments today, but before we do that, we're going to talk about something really important the Dallas Cowboys football game tonight. Mm. Mm. Give me your prediction. This will post next week, so we'll see how smart you are or how dumb you are. Your prediction for the Dallas Cowboys versus the New Orleans Saints Thursday night football. What do you think, Garrick? Well, I am a true American, and I love the Lord. This is not a comedy section. (laughs) This is not a comedy The Cowboys are going to wipe the field. Stop. And be victorious on their way to the Super Bowl. We talked about <laughs> Commandment 9 last night. Do not lie. That's your real prediction? Cowboys are going to win? Uh-huh. What's your real prediction? Bro, I don't know. I, my hope is that they no, win. No, your prediction. <laughs> I don't know. I got Saints 38, Cowboys 25. I don't think it's going to be that close. I don't think so either, but that's having a little hope as a Cowboys fan. Uh, the Cowboys are going to get whooped. That's a fact. Um, I hope we're wrong. Big 12 championship game. I don't care about winner or loser. I want to know the over-under on how many downward hook'em horns we're going to see in the game. Bro, how many will we see in the game? The entire Oklahoma sideline <laughs> have the horns down probably the entire game. Did I hear them right that it's going to be a personal foul or a 15-yard penalty every time they do it? I think that's, that's correct. So ridiculous. It is ridiculous. All right. But Don't have any fun in sports. Texas has made that their idol, and that's, you know, that's just uh, There's a commandment about that. <laughs> Speaking of, of the commandments, we have spent at Emmanuel the last – uh, two, three months on Wednesday nights talking about the Ten Commandments, teaching through the Ten Commandments. We had a introductory lesson, and then we've taken one week for each of the commands. Hunter has taught the youths upstairs, the young peoples, and Corey and I have traded off every other week. I had the odds. You had the evens. Uh, we're almost done. We have one more command next week, so we haven't quite wrapped it up, and then we'll have a conclusion, sort of put a bow on it lesson at the very end. Um, I just thought we would stop, reflect. We've read multiple books. We've spent the last couple of months thinking about the commands, thinking about how to teach the commands, how to apply them to our lives. Um, and I just thought, let's reflect on it. Let's kick it around and, and talk about the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament. Let's start off with something you learned. Something that maybe was a new insight, uh, an application you had never thought of, something that was sort of fresh as you studied and went through the the studying process this time. 
something you picked up this time you didn't know? What do you think? Uh, I think uh, when I taught on the Sabbath and keeping it holy, and you know when you talk about the inside out, yes, it means resting on the Lord's day. Yes, it means taking a day where you honor God and you worship God. Uh, but it also meant working the other six days of the week. And uh, one of the things that uh, I really took away from that is that we're supposed to work hard. We're supposed to make a living. And then when it comes to that day, it, we're supposed to honor God with it, and we're not supposed to work on that day. So um, that was one thing that really stuck out to me as I taught through the Sabbath because it's really not something, you know, when I thought of honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, it was really just a you go to church on Sunday, which for us, that's a work day. Yeah, I mean, as a, a pastor. Of, as a pastor. Yeah. So um, how do you balance that? How do you go about that? And uh, I, I learned a lot about uh, that commandment as we walk through that. I like it. And I like the I like the positive-negative rule there of you see it clearly in that command. When you're not supposed to do one thing, you are also supposed to do something else. Correct. And that applies for murder or idols or coveting or any of the other things. If you're not supposed to covet, you are supposed to be content. Correct. Um, and sometimes we don't think about the, the positive implications of each command. So that's good. Collarbone, what you think? Um, <clears throat> in the you know, in the earlier commands there's there's a couple warnings or blessings connected to mm. a couple of them. And Something that I, I picked up on as we were studying and, and working through this is, you know, I grew up hearing, uh, specifically with the the honoring your father and mother and you will live long in the land, that that promise was connected to that one command. But mm. the way it's written, it can really be applied to all of the commands. Correct. And, and I think that that's true for the other warnings and blessings that we see in those earlier commands. And I think that that just kind of opens your understanding of the, the commands as a whole and following them and what that means. I don't remember which resource it was that we worked through, but one of them really labored that point of the promise on command five is put at the middle of the 10, mm -hmm. not just for number five, but for all of them, for both tables, table one and table two. Mm. And that was the one thing that I took away this time uh, was also related to command five. I've had an understanding of there being two tables within the law. Table one, your relationship to God. Table two, your relationship with people, with others. And I've always heard the first four, no other gods, no idols, don't take God's name in vain and keep the Sabbath, that those relate to God and that five through ten, the last six, uh, honor your father and your mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. Those deal with your relationship with others. But one of the books that we worked through sort of raised the question, maybe number five goes on table one. There's not a huge interpretive difference one way or the other, but the first five all mention Yahweh, the Lord, hmm. and the last five don't. Uh, and the first five all sort of deal with your relationship with God slash authority. And your parents are that first line of authority in your life. If you don't learn honor and respect there, you're never going to connect the first four commands 
in how you honor God and respect God. So that was one of the ideas I took away. And again, does it matter which quote-unquote table Commandment 5 goes on? Probably not. Uh, I had always grouped it with this is your relationship with others, but maybe there's some clues in there that it actually belongs with uh, with how you relate to God in general. So always well, and, something and going through this learn. this series, I kind of felt like maybe it doesn't belong to either table, but both. Mm. And maybe it's this transitional command that yeah. that belongs on both tables. I yeah, agree. yeah, I like that idea. And and yeah, very good. I'll just leave it at that. Now we're at the tail end of the series. Why is it important for the believer to know the Ten Commandments? Why is it important for pastors, churches to teach the Ten Commandments? Why is this something that needs to be taught, explained, worked through? Why do we need to walk through this stuff with our people? Why is it important? Well, it's important because it helps us understand what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. Hmm. Um, it helps us understand the cross better. Uh, it helps us understand Jesus and what he came to do and where we fall short. Um, and for those reasons, it's absolutely important that we teach this. So and, take, take those one at a time. What do you mean when you say the Ten Commandments help us understand what it means to be in covenant relationship with God? What, unpack that idea. Um, so each week when I've been teaching this, I do a recap at the beginning and go through each of the lessons that we've talked about. And the first one was we talked about covenant. What does it mean to be in covenant mm-hmm. with God? And I've been teaching the students that God picked out Abraham and said, mm-hmm. you will be my people and I will do this and you will do this. And part of the... Um, the covenant with Abraham was that he imposed some rules on his people, the Ten Commandments being some of those. And um, when we are in covenant with God, there are things that are expected of us. Mm-hmm. He expects a certain um, lifestyle from us and obedience level from us. And we need to know that. We need to keep that in front of us, and we need to be seeking after that passionately. Yeah, I like that. I like the insight. I like that insight on two levels. One, because it connects the Mosaic Covenant with the Abrahamic Covenant, to say these are not two different agendas, but the Mosaic Covenant, the law, is sort of a an add-on or a, a furthering of what started with Abraham. Hmm. Abraham and that relationship is primary. And God sovereignly coming to this man, choosing this man, revealing himself to this man, entering a relationship with this man, not on the basis of what he did or how well he obeyed, but just because God wanted to do it. And then you see the same thing in the Exodus. God brings the people out and he saves them, not because they're good or they're worthy or they've kept the law or they've done anything, but he just saves them. And then once he saves them, he says, now that we're in relationship, this is my expectation of you. So I think that's helpful. That's good. Why else? Uh, what was the second thing you said? Something about the cross. It helps cross. us understand the cross. How does it um, help us understand the cross? Well, in, in again, in each lesson, what I've done at the end is the connecting it to Jesus. And we have to understand how Jesus fulfills each command mm. so that we can fully understand his work on the cross. Um, and so we have to see that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And we have to see how he fulfills each 
command and and working through them helps us connect each of those to his life and his ministry mm-hmm. and eventually the cross yeah, yeah. And, and and more the more you obey these commands the more christ like you are becoming so yeah. as jesus obeyed them fully so we when we obey them fully are becoming more like christ and then the world can see jesus in us and in in turn turn to the cross and repent and yeah. uh as god does that in their life yeah is it there's a fulfillment in jesus keeping these commands there's the cross where Jesus died for our failure to keep these commands, mm. but then there is God continuing to work in his people so that we become people who keep these commands. Correct. And keeping yeah. these commands is sanctification, it's growth, it's becoming more like Christ. And we, we emphasized that last night. Uh, we were talking about commandment nine, about do not bear false witness and speak the truth, be honest how we've fallen short. Jesus obeyed that command perfectly. He was always honest. He was always true. He was never deceitful. Um, And he died for our sins, but then he sends the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. John says that over and over and over again. He's going to send the Spirit of truth to sanctify us in his word that is truth. So the truth is part of our sanctification, and the truth is part of what he's making uh, us to be, who he's making us to be. It's not just that he did it and we failed and he died to save us, but he's also working that into our lives. Uh, so I, I think that's good. As you study the Ten Commandments, do you think um, do you think it should be expected that Christians would almost feel a level of discouragement? the more they study the Ten Commandments in depth? If so, why? I don't think discouragement is a good word uh, because, well, unless you're really living in sin a whole lot, and then, (laughs) yeah, maybe you should be discouraged by that. But I think when God reveals himself to you, and if you've truly accepted Jesus as your Savior, I think when God shines light on your sin. And the more you study the Ten Commandments, the more he's going to reveal because, you know, I knew the Ten Commandments, um, but as I have studied through them and God reveals more truth about the Ten Commandments, the more I realize, man, I break these a lot. Hmm. And just just uh, looking at your own life and saying, man, I need to make some cha- changes. So and maybe I need not to... discouragement, but conviction? Correct. Cor- yeah. conviction. Conviction. That's, conviction. That's a good word, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's a that's a healthy thing. That's not a discouraging thing. And I think the closer you get to Christ, and the more sanctified uh, God, you know, continues to do that work inside of you, the more um, you become like Christ. I think the more you're going to see other failures in yeah. your life. And um, yeah, I think that's good. And I think I think discouragement may not be the best word, but. When you dig in and you study and you think about what the commands require, what they imply, what they include, it does become heavier. That yoke becomes heavier. That burden becomes heavier. And that can move you to despair Mm -hmm. and moralism and trying to be a better person. Mm -hmm. Or that can drive you to Jesus. And what we've tried to do each week when we've taught it is to be very clear You've broken this command, and hmm. you've probably broken it in ways you didn't even realize. Correct. You're worse than you thought you were. 
but the gospel is better news than you thought it was mm-hmm. because Jesus kept it fully and Jesus is now working this into your life and there's hope uh, there's hope in the gospel so that's good uh, it, any other reasons it's important to teach one of the things think? that I when we first started this and we talked about I don't remember exactly who you said it was but some, a pastor had said or someone had asked his congregation how many of the ten no it was a Someone asked a pastor, name the Ten Commandments for me. Yeah. And the fact that he could not. Yeah. And I think that if you do that in churches around America, you would be discouraged at how many people don't even know, can't even name the ten. Part of me me really wanted at the beginning, maybe we should have done this, (laughs) wanted to give a little pop quiz. Yeah. Hand out a piece of paper, one through ten, write the Ten Commandments, and see... What was the average number that people could get correct? Could they get them in the right order? Because I remember you did that with <laughs> Exodus uh, about the plagues. Uh, list the plagues yes. out. And yeah, I really, yeah, I wish you would have done that as well. And you know, most people will throw out murder, mm-hmm. adultery, idols, but put on the spot. A lot of people start stumbling once they they get to three, four, five of the commandments rattled off, and it would have been. Maybe encouraging or maybe discouraging to retest our people at the end and see how many, how many they could they could list off. Uh, but I think you're right. I think we say we believe in the Ten Commandments. We say we're for the Ten Commandments. We like the Ten Commandments monuments. We think that they're important. But do we know them? I mean, that's the top ten. Mm-hmm. That. That seems like something, especially as a pastor. You you mentioned that um, I mentioned a pastor who who couldn't come up with them. Especially as a pastor, that's something you ought to know. You yeah. ought to be able to rattle those off. And um, I didn't give that quiz at the beginning because maybe I didn't want to know mm-hmm. how bad it would have been among, among our people. Or maybe we should give it at the end just to make sure they were. <laughs> there you go. See if they see if they've. Uh, picked up something along the way and and anything stuck with them. As a pastor, just sort of moving out of the realm of just being a a follower of Jesus and specifically into the role of pastor, as we've worked through the commands and thought about the commands, anything in particular that was convicting, challenging, or encouraging, something that really stood out to you in your role specifically as a pastor? Uh, for me, and I would assume it's the same for you guys, uh, the one that I found the most convicting and challenging was Sabbath. Huh. Um, because Sunday is a work day for us, and yeah. it's it's a day that we're studying for, and we're teaching, and we're discipling, and you're preaching every Sunday. I mean, it's it's hard for us to actively rest in the presence of God and have a true Sabbath because we're working. Yeah. Um, and so finding the time for that during the week outside of Sunday is kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. What, what advice would you give to a pastor, to a regular pastor, to say Sunday morning may not be the time where you keep this you know, without going down the rabbit hole of Sabbath and Lord's Day, but Sunday is not the day where you can rest and worship 
distraction-free because you are working, how would you advise a regular pastor to implement that into their life? Well, what we what we taught is that this is the only command that's not repeated in the New Testament. Yeah. And so how we deal with that is we have to understand that there are certain things that we were created to do. Mm. We're created to work, we're created to worship, and we're created to rest. And as long as we're doing those things that we're created to do, it doesn't necessarily matter when we do those things. And so for us as pastors who are working on the Sabbath, I think we have to be intentional during our week to take chunks hmm. throughout the week to find that Sabbath time because because the way our schedules fall and we're working all week and then we're working on Sunday on the Sabbath, we've got to take chunks instead of a full day maybe. Maybe so, yeah. I like that idea. Any thoughts you have about the rest, the work, how that flows for a regular pastor? I just think you have to set aside in the same way that you set a time to study with God. Mm. And, the, and, and You schedule Sabbath. Correct. You have yeah. to schedule it. You have to set apart a time. What happens if you don't schedule it? You won't do it. You'll, you'll get too busy. This this world, our culture, uh, is very busy, and our kids take so much time, and uh, church members take time. And if you do not take the time to worship and to rest, then you won't do it. Yeah. So schedule it out. I like it. I do think um, just comparing ministry here at Emmanuel to other places where I've served as pastor, I think it's easier for me to, quote-unquote, observe Sabbath uh, on a Sunday. I know that's a, a funny way of saying it, but to keep that command on a Sunday because we don't have Sunday night church most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember places where we had Sunday night church, and Sunday was just a knock-down, drag-out, kick-you-in-the-teeth day where you came to the end and you were just done. And I'm tired after church on Sunday morning, I mean, I get here early, and it's a busy morning. We have Sunday school, and we have worship, and we hang around, and we visit. But uh, then then you're done, and you can go home, and I try to take a nap and watch Walking Dead in the evening and whatever you need to do. But uh, there's there's it's easier to rest with that. And sometimes I think, I think especially for a regular pastor, guys that pastor smaller to you know normal-sized churches, they may have Sunday morning. They may have Sunday night. And that's that's challenging. Yeah. It's harder to take a chunk of Sunday yeah. when you're working literally from sunup to sundown uh, on a Sunday because of the schedule of the church itself. Hmm. So, you know, most guys try to take a day off during the week, take a Monday off, take a Friday off, take a half day here or a half day there. Um, I do think that's important. And you're right. You just have to schedule it. And you have to come to the end of your week. And you have to have worked hard Sunday through Thursday to get done the things that you need to get done so that you can have have time to rest and not uh, not be engaged every single day of the week. If you don't, your calendar will get filled up. Yeah. If yeah. you don't control it, it'll control you. Um, what do you think? As a, as a pastor, something that was challenging or convicting? M- mine is the one I'm going to teach on next week is coveting. Hmm. Uh, and I think the reason why coveting is such a big deal is because it's hidden. Hmm. Uh, you don't. It's it's you don't see a lot of it on the exterior. You can hide it. You can put on your, you know, face your happy face, and mm-hmm. people don't see it. And you can and and it's not just material things. It's 
so many other things as well. You may envy another pastor. You may mm. covet another job. You may covet so many different things. It's not just your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife. It's so many other things that can be going on inside of you, in you know, inside the heart. And then, of course, as you know, you've studied all of these commands that they're so tightly knit together that when you're breaking one, you're breaking five, uh, because you know it's like stealing. You know, um, obviously, if you steal something, you've probably coveted it. Yeah. Uh, you've placed that in the place of God. You've probably you've made deceitful. it an idol. You've dishonored your father and mother. Yeah, so yeah. when you break one, it's it's just a it's just a laundry list of how you've broken five or six of them. What do you think are the temptations uh, when it comes to coveting that would be maybe unique or heightened for pastors? Areas where we would particularly be tempted to covet. They want that church job where they don't have Sunday night church. Preach. (laughs) Maybe the schedule of another church. Sure. Okay, what else? I think we look at other churches, uh, particularly a lot of times in our area, that have big congregations mm. and huge budgets, and mm. they can do all this amazing looking things. And sometimes we get a little jealous of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe we get jealous of facilities, and yep. we we covet and think about, oh, if we only had a building like that, what mm-hmm. could we do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and coveting is a subtle a subtle thing on any level. But I'm just thinking through it as a as a pastor. You know, if you're a pastor of a church of 50, you probably don't struggle with coveting the building and the schedule and the whatever of the mega church guy. You probably struggle with coveting the church of 150 mm-hmm. and their building and their schedule. Yeah. And then when you're at 150, it's 300. And when you're at 300, it's 700. And 700 is 1,500. And it's not that we all want the Joel Osteen 22,000 fill the compact center, you know, Andy Stanley 500 uh, satellite campuses. It's always just a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if we could only have enough people for one more service, or if we could only have enough people to add this class, or if we only had enough money to buy this thing we need. If we could only have a gym. <laughs> oh, nobody <laughs> wants that here. Stop. <laughs> Just one dollar more. <laughs> yeah, one dollar more. That sort of idea. Right. Um, so that's good. Um, this is just fresh on my mind, thinking about what's challenging or convicting. Um, the way that pastors use our tongue. We, we taught last night, or I taught last night on uh, Commandment 9, Don't Lie. And I didn't spend a lot of time on it in the lesson, but I did mention it, that Martin Luther used to say the chief offenders in the ninth commandment are false teachers, hmm. people who stand up and say things about God that aren't true. That should be not a frightening thing, but it should be a sobering thing, and it should be a heavy weight just to remind yourself, I'm not just talking about football games. I'm not just talking about you know, earthly matters. I'm talking about the God of the universe. Hmm. And I do not need to misrepresent him. And connected with that is the other command that deals with our tongue, and it's don't take God's name in vain. Hmm. I don't think the three of us struggle with getting up and using God's name as an expletive in the middle of a sermon. I think what the struggle for us might be is 
going through the motions of prayer, going through mm. the motions of Bible study, going through the motions of singing without having your mind and your heart engaged mm. in what's actually going on. Sure. And if you've been a pastor for any length of time, you can do that. Mm. You can go through the yeah. motions. You can pray the prayer that everyone expects you to pray at this point in the service. Um, you can bless the food. You can lead the Bible study. You can give the counsel or the advice, and you just know what to say, and you can put it on autopilot without giving consideration to the weightiness of what you're doing in the moment, in t- talking to God, in leading his people in prayer, uh, in engaging with him in worship, in speaking on his behalf as you preach. You're not just giving a talk. You're not just delivering a lecture. But you're standing in front of people telling them, this is what God says. And you better get it right, and your heart better be engaged in that, and it better not just become routine. What about as you studied your your favorite reference or book or resource and why? W- what did you like the best? I really liked uh, the book by Moeller. Sure, um, it wasn't the Bible. <laughs> okay, that was cool, your cool. chance to cool, go cool. first and that pick was, the uh, Bible. <laughs> and you what did Jesus do me? Moeller. Dr. Moeller, 1A, Moses, 1B. <laughs> You're welcome. You guys are awesome. Uh, Why'd you like the Moeller book? I, I just like his writing. Yeah. Um, I think he is very good at breaking things down. And I don't, I don't listen to his podcast because he talks really fast and it's almost monotone. <laughs> but his teaching is really good. Yeah. And, and I, I just found a lot of rich uh, fruit in his teaching. Yeah. It, was, it was the one that I turned to first. Very cool. What'd you like? I liked uh, "Written in Stone" by Riken. Yeah, um, I liked it because it, it almost seemed like a uh, broken down sermon already. Yeah. So it really laid it out, and these are the points, and this is really good, and it was easy to follow. Uh, now I will say the A.W. Pink book Ten Commandments" was really good because it got straight to the point. Yeah. yeah. And it had some really good, um, had some really good material to quote. Yeah. And it just got straight to the point, and it's really a yeah. small read. So I like yeah, it it's short. <laughs> yeah. The the Riken book is good. Um, at heart, he's a pastor. I think at one point he was pastor at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, and then he's had some other academic roles. But even when you read his commentaries, they're very sermonic, yeah. if that's a mm-hmm. word. Yeah. And and there's, there's meat, and there's insight, and there's language. Uh, studies and all sorts of that, you know, technical stuff you're looking for, but it's presented in a way that is closer to a sermon than just a, a dictionary entry. So that's good. And I, I did, I wrote down the pink book. I liked it because he's just so quotable. And in being quotable, what he's doing is he's taking big ideas and making them very simple mm-hmm. that drive them home and that stick with you. And the one that I took away from last night. We're talking about lying. We're talking about telling the truth. And he's talking about God is truthful. God is a truth-telling God. Satan is a liar. Mm. And the quip, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but I'll never forget the idea, is there's no sin that makes you more like the devil than Mm. lying. He was a liar from the beginning. And just to take that one little thought and put it in a a quote that just punches you in the gut is a helpful thing. Uh, when you're studying, and also when you're teaching. So very good. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for your work, your study over the last couple of months. We have one more to teach next week. 
the easy one, the one nobody struggles with, <laughs> commandment number 10. Actually, the one that Paul says, if it wasn't for that one, I wouldn't have even seen my own sin. <clears throat> that was the one that really drove it all home for Paul. So get ready for a gut check next week. Gut check. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Regular Pastor Podcast. Check us out online. We'll be back with a new podcast in a couple of weeks. Until next time, this is The Regular Pastor, out. Out.